oh, it's kind of painful watching that. I hurt for David. It's like he's getting hurt all over again every week. But uh, please keep Pastor David, Pastor Tina, Amanda Hardiman, and the whole crew in your prayers. They're taking different journeys back, different flights today, tomorrow. So uh, Pastor David will be back to conclude our series. We continue week four today in our series we've called Homecoming, focusing outward on being a new church for new folks in our community. And we've talked about how to do that in different ways. We kicked it off by talking about a new season that many of y'all might be in a new season. In week two, Pastor David talked about teammates, the teammates in our lives and the way in which we can be a teammate to live out our mission to love God, love others and serve the world. Last week we talked about injured list was the topic, but we really focused on sin and brokenness. So, so our message outward can, can be real, can be authentic, can be true that this is a house for sinners. This is a house for the broken. So we, we need to be a bit confessional um, when we meet people where they are. We don't, we don't pretend to play and have it all together here. And this week, we're talking about experiencing loss. Experiencing loss this week. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to lose. <laughs> I'm a competitive person. Uh, when I was at Baylor University, we lost almost every single football game. Every homecoming game, we lost. We lost a lot. And I just don't like to lose. Uh, the emotional uh, maturity has gotten better. Don't, games are games, right? We, we can handle losing, but I just don't like to lose. But in life, in life, we lose. We lose in small ways that are trivial, that are superficial, that shouldn't bother us as much as it does, but, but it does sometimes. We, we lose loved ones way, way, way too soon. We lose relationships. We lose time. Like Lindsay Kay and I have lost some time, the time that we used to have together now with baby Max. There was some time that we lost. There's, there's that time when you, you used to be able to hold your kids. There's that time when they used to live in your house. So we lose in ways that make sense that are part of life, the life cycles and whatnot. And sometimes we just lose in ways that we can't really discern the purpose or the point and, and we ask why. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning. And I wanna report from the front lines a little bit. Uh, I met a new friend this week. I was subbing for Pastor Dave, David on Wednesday morning at, at Pastor's Bible Study that meets Wednesday mornings at 9.30 a.m. And we were going through Hebrews chapter five and six. And I almost didn't know if this guy was real because I didn't notice him right away. I didn't notice him until the very end. He sat about halfway back, um, kind of where Chuck, where you're sitting. I know, sorry, uh, the well in the well cafe, but... Um, but right about there in the middle back there is where he was sitting. And I didn't notice him until the very, very end as I was saying bye to some folks and he came forward and began to share with me about his life. And he's 23 years old and he's lost a lot. Um, he lost a mother to alcohol who, who hasn't really physically died, but just is never around, never around. So he was raised by his grandparents and they did the best they could, but couldn't really keep him contained. And he talked about how from the time he was eight years old till just very recently that he's really lived in the dark, literally. I mean, he described himself as, as a Satanist. Like he, he, very dark, has lived in the dark. And he only went to Lake Ridge High School for about a month or two uh, because he was incarcerated from the time he was 13 years old through the time he was 17 years old. This young man lost a lot. And God's word really was pressing upon his heart. In Hebrews chapter, chapter six, verses four through eight, 
It can be a bit of a difficult passage for us to digest in our modern sensibilities because it's a stern warning, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. And it's unusual because the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who he or she is, writes in a complimentary way. His assembly can handle solid food, can handle the deep stuff, deep theological truths. But this writer sees what's happening out in the world, not in this community, but out in the world, and often uses these rhetorical warnings to say, hey, I don't want you to drift away. I don't want you to be lethargic. I want you to stay attentive. I want you to keep growing. I want you to keep handling the deep stuff. Because he's seeing, he or she's seeing some things out there. And in in this word of warning, um, the the writer says this, for those those who are out there who have really been enlightened, who have really come to know the Lord, who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who have made, had a mature faith and taken significant steps in faith, who have been oriented and initiated into the Christian community. And for some of us, there's a disconnect because it's kind of easy for us to join church. You, kinda, you can kind of come in and say yes to some questions and be part of this church, but this is referring to people who have been deeply initiated, who have repented and literally turned and moved in a different direction who lived one way and had an old life and who have turned and reoriented their lives towards the Lord, this person who has been fully mature, who has lived their life, if, if such a person were to turn and utterly then abandon God, the writer of Hebrews says there isn't a second repentance. And this word is pressing upon, we'll call him Jeremy, Jeremy, this word is pressing upon Jeremy like, am I lost? Is there, is there any hope for me given the way my life has gone, given the decisions I've made, decisions he realized, bad choices that he made, and starting to recognize that there's a lot of, a lot of terrible choices that were made before he was ever around that made it difficult him to see love or no love, or experience love, or know any kind of stability or what goodness is all about. So his question really, we talked about a lot of things, but that's, that's what, where we kept coming back to. We kept coming back to that question. This morning we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We've got a lengthy passage to get through. I invite you to open to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Gospel of John, chapter 11. Um, We're going to go through verses 1 to 44. We're not going to read it verse by verse. We're going to do something a little different this morning, and I'm going to summarize the Gospel of John, chapter 11, for us as we look at the way in which uh, God's people here experience loss. And this is going to be a pretty familiar passage to many of you as we go through this. Uh, It'll be on the screens, too. So, John chapter 11 begins, now a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus means God helps. Like if, if we, we don't get anything else this morning, God helps. Lazarus' name means God helps. So in the the tough times of life, when we experience loss, when we're overwhelmed by grief, when, when we're just, when we feel heavy, heavy burdens, God helps. We worship a God who helps. So we, we're introduced to this man named Lazarus and the fact that he's named is significant because there's a woman at the well in John chapter four, many of us are familiar with. In chapter nine, there's a man born blind often throughout Jesus's ministry. He's traveling around. He's covering a lot of territory. We don't get to know the names of the people 
people. They, we, we know these people by their condition. We know them in that Jesus is revealing himself and his identity and who he is as God's son and, and all the miracles that he's performing. And Lazarus is known by his relationship to Jesus, not by his condition. We don't even know like what's wrong with Lazarus. It isn't even disclosed to us what's wrong with Lazarus. And we're, we're introduced to Mary and Martha again. And Pastor David preached on Mary and Martha and that story several weeks ago. And this family is very, very tight with Jesus. They spend a lot of time. We know they have faith unlike many of the disciples have faith, that they believe he's the Messiah. They believe Jesus is the son of God. They are very, very, very close to Jesus. So when Jesus is told by the sisters that Lazarus is sick, he says, this sickness will not end in death. Don't worry, this loss isn't permanent. This sickness isn't gonna end in death. This is going to happen for God's glory so the son will be revealed and the son will be glorified. This sickness will not lead to death as the sisters get word to Jesus. And Jesus stays two days where he is. And then he turns to his disciples and said, okay, it's time to go to Bethany. And the disciples' response is, I think like, really? <laughs> really? And you know, sometimes the disciples are really, really slow and they don't get it, but I, I, I'm gonna take some license here, creative liberty, I'm calling, I'm calling that out right now. I think, I think they, they maybe get it a little more than we think in their response. I think there's some fear in their response. I think they're making really, 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 really sure they don't have to go back to Bethany because if we look back at the end of chapter 10, Jesus was just about stone. Like there was this crowd that tried to seize Jesus at the end of chapter 10 in Jerusalem and Jerusalem is only two miles from Bethany. Like you can see Bethany from Jerusalem. You can see Jerusalem from Bethany. It's really close. It's a nothing walk and, and we're going back there. And so the disciples ask the question when they're told that Lazarus is asleep and it's time for them to go wake him up. They're like, eh, well, if he's sick, do we really have to go back. I mean, sick people need their rest. You don't wake sick people up. They need to get well. They need to stay asleep. And Jesus then finally just explains it to them and says, no, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe in what I'm about to do. And as Jesus arrives, he discovers that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. So like there's this popular Jewish belief that the soul hovers around the body for three days, trying to re-enter the body. This is, this is a popular belief. So the writer wants, wants to be clear, like there's no room for gray area in what's happening here. Like Lazarus didn't just fall into a deep sleep or didn't just die. Like Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. Lazarus is gone. And Mary and Martha come to him both separately and say the same thing. They, they say, if you had only been here, our brother would not have died. It's like they, they didn't get the message as we started chapter 11. They didn't get the message, if you would have only been here, if you would have only been here, our brother wouldn't have died, they said. And Jesus' response is, this, this passage of scripture is very difficult to interpret. Your trans, all of our translations say something different. Jesus is, is troubled, he's disturbed, he's deeply moved by what he is seeing and the way in which people are mourning and, and the responses of the folks. Like it's, it's tough to get at what's going on here. There's a lot more, happening here um, beneath the surface in Jesus' own feelings about the response of the people. 
Nobody believes in what Jesus said would happen. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Jesus then prays to the Father for the benefit of the people in the, the, who, who are all around there and he calls Lazarus out and Lazarus comes out and he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And in this event, there's so much going on in this event. We see the way in which Mary and Martha feel like they've lost their brother even though they shouldn't. They shouldn't believe they've lost their brother, but, but they think they've lost their brother and really they've lost faith in Jesus's word. We see the way in which the disciples are losing Jesus. If you notice Thomas's response when they're supposed to go back to Bethany, he says, let us go die with him. And it's ambiguous whether or not he's referring to Lazarus or Jesus. The disciples are, are starting to become very, very aware that they are losing Jesus. And Jesus is losing time. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's the clearing of the temple. It's the cleansing of the temple, the way in which he gets rid of the money changers who were buying and selling in the temple. That's the event for Matthew, Mark, and Luke that leads to Jesus' trial and death and crucifixion. That's the event that the powers that be say, okay, his time is up. But in the Gospel of John, it's this this event. It's the raising of Lazarus. The powers that be say time is up. Jesus is losing time. And in Jesus's response, I want to, before we move away from this chapter, I, I want to talk a little bit about Jesus's response, that he's disturbed, that he's troubled, that he's deeply moved. We famously know the shortest verse in all of scriptures right here. John chapter 11, verses 35, just two words, the shortest verse in all, of in all of the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And the way Jesus weeps and the way Mary weeps and the mourners weep are very, very, very different. They're not doing the same thing. And so it's important for us to understand what's going on here to get it. Why is Jesus responding this way? We, we know Jesus grieves with us, that, that he assumes human nature to redeem human nature. We can trust that as we suffer, as we are tempted, Jesus, to a degree we cannot fathom, has already been there for us. He grieves with us in the midst of our loss. He weeps with us, and I think we understand that. But here he realizes the effects of sin and death. He has to enact this sign in the raising of Lazarus. He has to enact this sign because he knows now what he must do, what he must soon do for us. And so when we look at the weeping, I, I, I think when we're, we're confronted with loss, it's important for us to pick this up here because it's not obvious. It's, we gotta get into the weeds of the Greek. And so when Jesus weeps, 1135, if we can transliterate that into English, the Greek word is, is dakryo, D-A-K-R-Y-O, Dacryo, D-A-K-R-Y-O, which means to shed tears. So Jesus has a profound grief that causes him to shed tears for his friend, to shed tears with those who are mourning. And that's important for us because many of us know and, and experience grief. And, and our grief is, is redeemed here and that there's no timeline for grief, you know? There's volumes and volumes and volumes and steps and seven steps and 10 steps and some of that's really helpful for us and we spend months working through our grief and then wake up and we're back to square one. There's no timeline for our grief and Jesus 
weeps. Jesus sheds tears. But I think part of why he's disturbed, part of why in the German tradition, like for Martin Luther sees this word anger here in in Jesus' response, that there's some anger here is because of what Mary and some of the mourners are doing. And if we look at what they're doing, when, it, when we see in English that they are weeping, the Greek is very different. It's kleo, K-L-A-I-O, kleo, which means to wail in mourning, to wail in mourning. You see, I think Jesus' concern, we're, we're supposed to weep but not wail. Because when we wail in mourning, grief, our grief has degenerated into despair. And in our grief, we've given up. We've given up hope. We've surrendered. We've, we've said we can't move on. So it's important for us to weep and not for us to wail, not to get caught in the mire of despair because in that we are implicitly denying the hope of the resurrection, that the sign that Jesus will then perform after Lazarus to, to be raised for us and for our salvation. When we wail and our grief degenerates into despair, we implicitly deny that there's a new day. There's, we implicitly surrender and we just give up. And so in our lives, I think it's important for us to see in this passage here that there's some things we need to let go of. Mary and Martha and their response, like there's some things we need to lose, we need to let go of. But when we're confronted with loss, whether we understand it or we don't understand it, whether we need it or don't need it, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to, to lose to win, to fail forward if we must fail to learn. So, you, you know, we get this in trivial things. We know like in sports, going back to football, there's some teams that need to lose. I mean, there's just some teams that need to lose and need to lose in order to improve, need to lose in order to get better. If we think about the NFL, there's actually only one team that's ever gone unblemished. Perfect record, 1972 Miami Dolphins and the sports enthusiasts among us. A lot of us don't lift up the 1972 Dolphins as the greatest team of all time. <laughs> some, some will say 85 Bears, one of the Patriots teams, or you, you, it's a fun conversation. But the point is some teams need to lose in order to improve. Uh, Michael Jordan, who isn't really famous for his losing or poor performances, once said this. He said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the final shot in missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. So it seems like loss and failure can be good teachers. And when we're presented with loss, whether it's the loss of a loved one or something else, we have an opportunity to fail forward into God's grace. Or in our grief, we can give up. We can, we can resign ourselves and we can regress and we can move backward. And so the question for us individually and as a community of faith is, how, how do we need, how can we lose to win? If we must fail, how can we fail forward into future flourishing? And I think about the time Lindsay Kay and I lost when it was just us. We lost to win. I mean, we've got this miracle now whose laugh can part waters and move mountains and make the sun stand still. I mean, it's awesome. It's so much better. We lost to win. When we think about those close, closest to us that we lose, we lose them and we miss them and we grieve them, but we can resiliently move on. And in order to bless 
lost their memory. I think we betray their memory if we don't move on and become wiser people. If we don't grow, there's this opportunity for us. Many of us need to lose arguments. We need to let go of our pride and our ego to win peace, to win stronger relationships. We need to, lo- we need to get out of, out of our way. You know, my conversation with Jeremy, he started to say that, you know, he started to say, I can't sustain my, like, this life I'm living isn't sustainable. I need to lose it in order to find it. I need to lose this all in order to gain the truth, in order to gain what really matters. And he talked, he talked about how the last few months, as he goes on walks on his day off, there's this open door in a prayer room at St. Jude Catholic Church, and he'll occasionally just walk in there and just sit all by himself, just sit, just sit. And that's what he anticipated doing, I think, on Wednesday morning when, when he was led into our chapel on our campus walking around on his day off. He, I think he anticipated to walk in and just sit by himself in the chapel. He started to understand and started to even express that he needs to lose some things. So Jesus enacts this sign. And then in the next chapter, chapter 12 predicts his death. And I, wanna, I want us to look at chapter 12, verses 24 to 25. I think it's a nice summation of, of what we've been talking about here. Jesus in chapter 12, just the next chapter, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, he predicts his death. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for life eternal. And Jesus is saying that if, 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 he, if he doesn't die, we don't stand a chance to live the life we're meant to live. If, if he doesn't go this lonely road, if he doesn't give everything, then, then our sin and our brokenness, we just stay in disrepair. But if he goes, just like a seed falls to the ground in fertile soil, that produce will be immeasurable. And so, so he comes, and so he becomes a slave for us. He loses everything so that we might have life. And he asks us, there's some things we've gotta lose we got to move forward in this life and let go. We have to lose the way in which we, we talk about what the world has us focus on and the priorities that, that it puts to compete for our allegiance. We have to lose the way in which we aim in the dark. We have to lose the way in which we aim at some of the idols that we create, whether that's our own ego, our own plans, the way we put ourselves before others, whatever it is, we have to lose some things in this life in order to receive and step into the abundant life that Christ offers us. We have to lose those things that are temporal, that are lesser, so that we can gain the things that are everlasting. We can gain the gifts like faith, hope, and love in the God who comes down and loses everything, loses all his status, loses his glory, puts it all aside for you and for me. So the big question for us as we think about the way in which we are called to lose, we are called to lose to win, we are called to fail forward into the future. Jeremiah and I spent like two and a half hours together. 
It was crazy. I mean, he had all the questions in the world. Jeremy, he just had all the questions. I mean, he knew nothing. We came into this space because he wanted to know where we worship. He didn't know what a service was. And so we talked about that. He didn't know what these symbols meant. So we talked about that. And he's like, well, you know, if, if I belong here, because I obviously explained to him that, that he's welcome here, that, that we have, there are gonna be prayer warriors for him. We have all kinds of, I mean, he is absolutely welcome and at home here. I could tell though he has this affinity for the Catholic Church as he was asking all these questions about if I belong here or if I belong to the Catholic Church, then does that mean I'm saying everybody else is wrong down the street? Like why are there so many different traditions and, and what's that relation? What's, what, what about world religions and, and what about all these different things? And I kind of helped him understand that, you know, we actually accept each other's baptisms across Christian traditions. And we, we actually do mean the same thing when we say justification by grace through faith. And, and there, there have been these formal agreements. And, and we got, he, he was so curious and had so many questions for the, the lack of education that he had. He's a sharp, he's a sharp kid. And he, he started to realize and circle back around as he circled back around to that question, am I lost, am I? His, his demeanor changed, his, his, his countenance started to change. And just as a representative of you, I made sure that he understood he's in the process of being found. That he's in the process of being found, not because God doesn't know where he is, because God knows exactly where he is. That God was the reason he entered that chapel into the first place, that God loves him. And then he's in the process of being found because he's, he's realizing that he, that he can't do it on his own, that, that this life isn't sustainable and he's realizing he has to let it go. He's got to lose it. So, and then I looked at him and I said, this place that you've been living in in the dark and the lies that have been spoken over your life, I just looked at him and said, you know, Satan wants to keep you in isolation. And as I was sharing that with him, like his eyes got real big and he, he began to explain how his whole life is just going to work and then back to his room and going to work and back to his room. And there's no contact, there's no community, there's no human relationship whatsoever. And he started to realize that his whole life, his whole life, he has to give up his whole life. And we left. And I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. Um, he had all these questions and I just didn't know. And he, he was encouraged. He, he definitely had an open invitation here. And uh, he showed up after lunch in a car this time. He didn't walk. He, he had a car. He showed back up after lunch and he came in and he was real excited and encouraged. And he just said that he had, he had went after our meeting and talked to a nun over at St. Jude and filled out some paperwork to, for Christian initiation into that community of faith. And I just, brothers and sisters, like I, I almost cried. I, you just never know. You just never know when the Holy Spirit's gonna put someone in your path to help. Like the, the tangible nature of that doesn't happen all that often. Or maybe we just don't always have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Maybe we have to lose some things in order to see those people in our lives. I don't know, but, but this was just a tangible expression. Like I just was so encouraged that like the Lord sent him here and the kingdom just got bigger on Wednesday morning. Like the kingdom grew and praise God for that. And I was just so, I was so encouraged and I, yeah, I wish, I wish he was here, but I'm just so thankful that, that he's making that commitment of faith formation. And I just have a lot of confidence that, that the kid's gonna keep stepping. 
And so I report that to you, not in a self-serving way, but as an invitation, because I want to hear your stories from the front lines, because that builds us up. That makes us a new church. That helps us reach new people when we are witnesses to what the Lord is doing out there. And so you just never know. You never know when the Holy Spirit is going to surprise you with somebody to help. So are you ready? Will you pray with me? Holy God, we are so grateful that you are a God who helps us, that in our times of heavy burdens, in our times of loss, in our times when we don't know the answer, we don't know the point, we don't know the purpose, God, you help us, you help us. And in our time of loss, God, help us hold on to hope. Help us hold on to the promise that you give us and your word is true and that you, you died, you took the long, lonely road for us and our salvation so that we may be given more time, so that we may be given abundant time and that our life could be infinitely better. You gave everything. You lost everything for us, O oh Lord. And so help us let go of the things that are keeping us from stepping closer to you. Free us, Lord, for joyful obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.